Good morning, church. I am glad that we are a church that just doesn't talk about theology and theory, but we live it out and provide opportunities for you to engage in the warfare that's all around us. I love to study battles. As a kid, just maybe some of the stories in the Bible always drew my attention. And then with a military background in my family, most men in the military, I just loved reading and studying different battles. And when it comes to the Bible, I was thinking through this. The greatest soldiers of God are the ones displaying virtuous character on the battlefield. When I look at all the different battles in in warfare, modern warfare, or even ancient warfare, there's different virtuous kind of battles that happen and warriors that did things. But in the Bible, the greatest ones are the ones who display this virtuous character on the battlefield. And that's what we're dealing with in this passage. And this is something also I notice as I've gone through the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we have many stories of battles happening and they would have to fight against this enemy or the enemy would come and they would have to protect themselves. And and there was all these battles. This is very interesting. God normally would not give victory to Israel when they were just sitting at camp. The battle was happening. They get their their camp ready. Like, okay, we're going to get ready. The enemy's over here. The lines are drawn. They're all sitting in camp. God would, in fact, I can't find a place where he would do this, where he would say, all right, you just stay at camp. You stay in bed, and I'll do the victory for you. God rarely did that, if, if ever. He always gave a provision for victory in the battle, absolutely, but he also called the people to be involved in the battle also. And how did he do that? He always included their faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. I see this all throughout the Old Testament. The battle would be ready. He was like, I'm going to assure that it's going to win, but I want your faith and obedience to be activated. Victory finally came when they took steps of trust and obedience required by God. Today is the same. Today is the same for us. He provides the spiritual resources given to us that go along with steps of obedience and steps of faith for us in the battle. He provides it. He always gives us the margin of victory Absolutely. But he also calls us to do something in the battle. At times, he will not act until we move in obedience or to what he has revealed to us in his word or by his spirit. Faith and obedience is the same today. Achieving victory in the battle over our enemy is not so much our doing, but God's doing through us when we step out in faith and obedience. Because often we might be like the Israelites, I just want to stay at the camp. Let me just stay in bed. You just do all the warfare for us, Lord, and I'll just be you know, warm in bed. We're looking at theology and theory 
but moving to practice faith and obedience. And that's what today, as we go through this passage, we will see this again. So would you join me in prayer before we get into the Word? Father God, I thank You so much that You have won the war. We know the final outcome. We are so grateful that we are more than conquerors through Him, through Christ, who took the cross, who paid the penalty that I could not pay. You took our place. You died and rose again and brought us life. Oh, we proclaim Your goodness. We thank You. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we think about this warfare that we're involved in, that You would awaken us to the reality that faith and obedience have to be a part of this. So guide us, dear Lord, as we look in Scripture and help us keep our gaze on You, not us, not the circumstances of our life first, but our gaze and trust in the character of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Pastor Luke is going to come up and read this. So if you got a Bible, open up. We have Bibles in front of you. If you could stand with us as we hear this passage read. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. I could quote the first couple of verses by memory, but it would have to be sung because that's what we've been working on in Aranatha Kids, so I won't do that currently. But join me as we read God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm developing a nice cold, so I'm going to be drinking water, but I'll most likely kick it, so I'll just put it there so you see me kick it later. I've summarized this passage based upon the three main verbs, their imperatives in this section that we're reading, and I've kind of summarized this section in this sentence here. It's, be made strong in the Lord by putting on virtues so you may stand your ground against the enemy. And again, when I as a kid read this passage, I thought it was about just getting this weaponry and fighting and doing great things to win the battle. Where in reality, it's he has already won the battle and we are to put on virtues to help us stand strong. It's interesting, I find this interesting that Ephesians 
more than any New Testament book, check this out, Ephesians, more than any New Testament book, uses the greatest percentage of power terminology. The uses and words of power, authority, wrestle, struggle, all its types of terminology, Ephesians uses power terminology more than any New Testament book. But it also highlights in this letter the role of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as the agent of divine power and authority. In this little section here, we're talking about the, there's a section where um, 10, 11, and 12 where the enemy, and there's, there's terms of power and, and stuff, but yet even greater than that is the Holy Spirit, the agent of divine power. Now I was thinking, why, why does Ephesians use power terminology more than any other New Testament book? Well, let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. Take a look at the map here. Ephesus is located kind of in this, like for us it would be a bay, but in this sea here where Ephesus is located in a very strategic place. Ephesus was the primary trading place of all of Asia at that time. Ephesus was the main place to go. In Barron County, what's the main city to go for trading and getting stuff? Rice Lake. Even though we're not the center, Barron, those of you who live in Barron, you're in the center. Rice Lake is the main place. In fact, it's the main place for others in different counties to come to to get their stuff. Ephesus was that. It also, though, had a reputation of magical practices. Hosting a variety of magicians, sorcerers. They all gathered there also. Even though it was a great place for trading and commerce, it was also a place of magical practices. At this time, people turned to magic to help them in their daily lives. If there wasn't enough rain, they would turn to magic. If it was too much rain, they would turn to magic. We understand what it's too much rain or not enough rain, right? They would turn to these powers to help them in their daily existence. I don't have any kids, so I turn to the magical powers. That's what they would do. Also, they turned to magical powers because they feared demonic influences of the day. They were very aware of the demonic influences around them. And the spirits of nature in the ancient writings, they talk about the spirit of nature. They were very real to them. Where for us today, the demonic influence, oh, that's just old stuff. We don't deal with it anymore. That's what we think. Magic was used to try to acquire supernatural powers and to manipulate the spiritual world to help them either have children, help them in their type of job, and Ephesus became the center for magical practices and devotion to the goddess Artemis. At this time, everyone knew the famous goddess was Artemis. In fact, in Ephesus, a large temple was dedicated to her. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I got a kind of a depiction of what it looked like. This was the temple given to her, and everyone would go there, and there were magicians and sorcerers that would sit around, maybe not connected with her. They were at a cheaper rate, and you could, hey, I'm struggling in this area, so they would help you. A lot of charlatans of the time. Several ancient documents 
reveal that she was thought to be more powerful than nature. Farmers, if you got too much rain, turn to her and she'll help you out. And she was also called upon for protection and deliverance. In my study, I realized that she was connected to the goddess of the underworld. Paul visited Ephesus. He stayed there. He stayed there for over two years. And we'll see this here in a moment. He did a lot of ministry there. And it was on his third missionary journey that he was there. And it's great. We won't get to this in our section here, but it's great if you read in Acts 19 that this goddess was there and all this stuff was happening, but it got ruined by Christianity. Christianity became so powerful because it was the true power that all these people are like, oh no, what do we do? The Gospel's being presented as truth and people turned to that. In fact, let's take a look at how Luke writes in Acts. So take your Bibles and turn to Acts 19. Acts 19 is a section where he talks about Ephesus. And it's interesting that even Luke associates demonic activity and all this magical stuff with Ephesus. And because I think military-wise, we've been using military style to work through Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at our authority, our opponent, our objective, and our strategy. So let's kind of do that through Acts 19. Acts 19, verse 1 in the middle. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived in Ephesus. He meets some disciples that don't fully know all the whole total aspect of the Gospel and what's happening. He does some stuff. Look at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing pervasively about the kingdom of God. Look at verse 10. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the Word of the Lord. Paul knew his authority was in the Lord. Look at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Now let's get to verse 13. We have this authority from the Lord. And it's not our power, it's His power working through us. Let's talk about our opponent. Let's look at Acts 19.13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name, tried, you notice that word there? Tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And We'll talk about this next week. Demon-possessed isn't maybe the best word that's kind of transferred over from the King James. So demon Demonic influence is in their lives. They would say, look, look, listen to what it says. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Hey, they saw the, those who knew their authority in Christ, they saw that they had greater influence of the goddess of the underworld. Seven sons of Sceva. A Jewish chief priest were doing this. Listen to this. 
one day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So I wrote this down. The seven sons of Scevia tried to use the name of Jesus to cast out demons without first becoming God's children through faith. Because you first have to have that authority as a child of God, not just as a piece of paper or a name phrase to use. The demons overpowered them because they didn't have the authority that the disciples had. Our enemy is dangerous and real, people. Do not mess around with evil. And you might think, okay, this was Acts 19. It's not that bad today. It's interesting, now that I got a smartphone, I was different things come up on my news feed or through social media. And this, take a look at this picture came up on my news feed. See the evils of the demons hunting Constantine if you dare. Own the movie now. So here's this kid movie that you can get where John Constantine is this demon hunter. Listen, stay away from evil. Kids, stay away from evil. Adults, stay away from evil. This isn't good. We know that there's an enemy who is trying to destroy the church, trying to destroy the children of God. And he rages against the main focus. The battle is about the glory of God and the fame due to Christ. There's an opponent. We've also been looking at the objective. In Acts 19, we see that Paul and some of the disciples are ready. They stand firm. They oppose the enemy. They use the Word of God. They preach for over two years. and They let people know about the goodness of God. Our objective isn't to win the war. Christ has done that. Our objective, stand firm in the faith. Don't give up. That's one of my main goals as a pastor. I'm going to come alongside you. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on the prize. Jesus Christ, keep your fingers in the Word. Don't give up. And then our strategy. What's our strategy? Is to armor up. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking about our weapons and armor. These weapons each have a counterparty, equivalent spiritual virtue. So I, last week we gave these in the bulletin. If you're visiting today, we have extra ones back on our resource center. So pull this out. I said, bring it every week. I've made a chart for you to kind of map this out so you can see. Here's the armor, the metaphor that Paul uses. He uses six of them. Prayer, he doesn't use a metaphor with that. But the main virtue, this is the main part we should look at. And each of these have a resource or an equivalent of most of it's God's armor that we put on. There's the reference and then the attack. So again, last week we looked at stand firm by harnessing on truth the integrity of our character. Stand firm by putting on righteousness which is right conduct. Live godly. 
So we're going to look again at the reference to God, the enemy's attack, and then our virtue with the next two. So let's go to the third word mentioned in this. Verse 15. Take a look in your Bibles at verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Stand firm by preparing with the gospel of peace. Be ready with the gospel of peace. Once again, we have a reference to Isaiah. It's amazing how Paul, his main focus isn't the Roman soldiers of the time with their armor. His main focus is God's armor and God. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. A divine messenger is one who brings peace. He walks and brings peace to where he is called to go. And God is the divine warrior who has brought the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. God brought peace through Christ to us. We had this broken relationship with God because of our sin, and He brought peace. Take your pages and turn two pages back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For He Himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14 Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of the two thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were near. And through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. God is the God of peace. And He has brought reconciliation between us and Him through Jesus Christ. And Christ proclaim this peace. The good news, the Gospel message, is that I was brought near to God. And I become a child of God. And my freedom has brought the enemy his defeat. Amen? This counters the enemy's attack. We are fighting against falsehood and hatred. Falsehood. The enemy does not want to know, have people know the truth. The enemy is against truth at all costs. He doesn't want them to know truth, so he brings falsehood. We talked about that last week. He doesn't want people to know the truth of Christ, so he tries to get people distracted. Falsehood. He also brings hatred. He wants opposition within the church he wants people to bicker and fight against each other he wants you to just to be have animosity against someone the enemy wants hatred to grow discord among the brethren he wants that galatians 5 15 if you bite and devour each other watch out or you yourselves will be destroyed 
Jesus says this, this is how you will know, the world will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, the world will know that we're his disciples if we have love towards one another. And thus we need peace. And the enemy will do all he can to make sure he brings mockery to the church. Our virtue now. Our virtue is the preparations of the gospel of peace. The enemy brings hatred while we are to prepare with the good news, the gospel of peace. Two thoughts on this. One, it says be prepared. Have your feet fitted with the readiness. Get ready. Get your feet ready. Be ready for war in action, in peace. Preparation. Peace as a weapon, that doesn't make sense. That sounds like an oxymoron. That sounds like Pick on the Navy, any Navy person, if you're in the Navy. Navy intelligence, well, that's an oxymoron. All the Army guys are laughing right now. I'll take the larger half. We had pumpkin pie, and I cut it in half. I'm like, I'll take the larger half. Well, it's half. There is no larger half. Or, oh, that's good grief. Well, can grief be good? Oh, in Christ it can. How can peace be a weapon? We must prepare to bring peace where there's hostility. We must prepare. As you know, I love to do hiking things. I love mountaineering. I'm a peak bagger. I love to go to the highest peak as many times as I can. When I lived in the Seattle area, my goal was to hit 100 peaks. Then he called me back to Wisconsin. It's okay. But I prepared. I just didn't put on shoes. In fact, the shoes I brought, they were brand new. I would wear them for over a month just getting my feet ready and fitted with them. Because if I took them on the first day, I'd have blisters right away. Prepare yourself. Few Christians prepare to stand against the enemy. Partially because of lack of preparation or lack of knowing the authority you have in Christ. Prepare. One of the greatest ways to prepare with the Gospel of peace, fingers in the Word, people. Read this daily. It talks about preparations. How do we prepare? Be ready in God's Word. We'll talk more about this next week as we look at the sword. Be ready to go into new territory with the message of peace. Be an agent of peace where there's disunity and discord. Be ready. And then secondly, this virtue is the preparations, but it's also the proclamation of the Gospel of peace. It's the preparedness, but also it's the proclamation of it. Listen to this verse. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared. Always be prepared. Same word here. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason of the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Be ready to proclaim the Gospel message. We're not going to take much time with this, but I encourage you. Put about 20 of these things. These used to be called... um, Knowing peace, now it's called knowing God, or steps to peace with God. If you want to know how to share the message, this is great. The Billy Graham Association has put this out. Grab one of these. Put them in your Bible. Put them in your pocket. Put it in your car. Read them. Get to know how to share the great message of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12.11, one of my favorite verses on warfare in Scripture. And they overcame Him, the enemy. Christians overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, 
by the word of their testimony, and be prepared to share. Or Romans chapter 10, verse 5. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? You must know this message. Preach the Gospel. As it is written, here it says in Romans 10, it quotes this Isaiah passage. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So dear Christian, stand firm by preparing and being ready to proclaim the Gospel of peace. Now let's go to the fourth armor mentioned here. Let's look at verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Stand firm by taking up faith. Let's talk about Old Testament references here. Again, in the Old Testament, I think Paul alludes to this passage here, looking at the Old Testament. God often, throughout many, many passages, we see in the Old Testament that God is a shield to His people. Going again to Isaiah. Isaiah 31, verse 5. Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord Almighty is a shield to Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and it will be rescued. God is our great shield. Or Psalm 18. He shields all those who take refuge in Him. I wrote down, we can live fiercely in this hostile world because God is the source of our strength and He is our protection. Again, it's not our armor. Put on the Lord's armor. He is our shield. This counters the enemy. In which way? This counters the enemy's attack. We are fighting against despair and discouragement. Since the time of Adam, all the way through the Old Testament, to the days of Jesus, and persisting to this present evil day, Satan attacks God's children and continues to do it. And again, Satan's primary focus of attack, and this is thinking strategically here, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, Satan's primary way to attack God's children, he doesn't say, he doesn't come to my door and knock and say, this way to dive into sin, Pastor Cody, with a big neon light flashing, and I go, oh, okay. His primary tactic is deception. Concerning our beliefs about God and our understanding of ourselves in relation to God. In your circumstances, He will start to whisper in your ear. He will deceive you. He will go down the track of saying, oh, God can't help you in this situation. You, you're too far deep. God doesn't love you anymore. You must now work to attain and win back God's love. God's not powerful enough. He won't shield you in that. In our understandings of ourselves and relationship with God, He will try to deceive you. Work harder for God so He'll bless you. Work harder so He'll save you. Can God love you anymore? No. Have you thought about the cross? Satan will come, but the shield of faith protects 
against arrows. They're not just arrows, they're flaming arrows. I mean, arrows were bad enough. Bullets were bad enough. Now we got exploding bullets that, you know, when you hit something, it blows up, and that's bad enough. These are flaming arrows. In this time, soldiers would have wooden shields. Most of them were wooden. The elite would maybe have some metal pounded on top of the wooden shield. Metal ones would be too heavy to hold up. And these wooden shields sometimes would have leather on them. They would soak them in water. So if they were flaming arrows, God forbid, then that could extinguish them. But even the common wooden shield soaked in water would eventually burn up. These are assaults from the three realms. Remember the three realms we talked about? The world and its ways. The enemy is going to attack us in those areas. We need the shield of faith. Our sinful nature and our flesh, the enemy will attack, so we give in to our desires. And the enemy himself. Some of the things that we get are persecution, trials, giving into temptations, doubt, worry, fear, evil thoughts, guilt, false teachings. Demonic attack, rebellion, despair, and discouragement. That's where the enemy loves to get us. Despair and discouragement. That's what he does. We're under attack. But we must have our firm confidence in Christ. Satan attacks, faith protects. Write that down. Satan attacks, but faith protects. A wooden shield burns up, but not the shield of faith. The shield of faith will not burn up. It protects. So now to our virtue. There are, I mentioned this before, there are two popular books written on military theory. One is the Western world thought here, and the other one is the Eastern mindset, Asia, by Sun Tzu, The Art of War. This one is On War by Karl von Clausewitz. Let me read out of there. It says this. This is, again, theory and philosophy of warfare. This is at West Point. This is what they read. Many military theory. This is what they read as their handbook. War is the province of danger. (laughs) Right? Flaming arrows. Bullets that explode. Where there's war, there's danger. This is what he writes on page 32. War is the province of danger. Therefore... Put blank. Above all things is the first quality of a warrior. What do you think that word is? War is the province of danger. Therefore, above all is the first quality of a warrior. Courage. Faith is the first quality of a warrior. Courage, he says, is the first quality of the warrior. For us as Christians, it's faith, trust, Courage is the quality we need to have on as a virtue. Faith is a Christian essential. And there's three aspects dealing about faith when it comes to warfare. Number one, faith is the response to God that is essential for our salvation. You think you can be like the sons of Sceva, just kind of go, hey, I'm going to use the name of Jesus and do something. Without that relationship, you're in trouble. You'll get pummeled. Our faith in Christ alone is the means and how we receive God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through 
faith. We must first become God's children through faith. Essential. Number two, God protects His people in His faithfulness. It's all about Him in the battle. Not about you. It's His faithfulness. Even though Satan attacks, he continues to do it. God forms a shield to protect His people. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. Surely, Lord, You bless the righteous. You surround them with Your favor as with a shield. Psalm 7, verse 10. My shield is God Most High who saves the upright in heart. Notice each of these have a virtue connected with them too. Godliness. Righteousness. Psalm 91. You will find refuge in the Lord. He is the faithful one. Faith looks to God to be the shield. Trusting God conquers fear and doubt. One of the biggest problems we have in America is this. It's in our wallets. Whenever something breaks down, when something happens, something bad news happens, we first grab our wallet, just slide the credit card, we can fix it, I'll work harder. First, we must turn to God. Faith looks to God. Trusting God. My confidence is the One who saved me, the Lord. And my faith is total reliance on Him. So second, God protects His people in His faithfulness. And then third, faith must be accompanied by obedience. Again, I said this before. Listen to this. Our relationship to, with, and in Christ protects us. Our relationship calls us to reflect the character of Christ. And we must trust the Lord. Christ trusted the Lord throughout His earthly life living here. Again, in the Old Testament, the battles. As I studied the battles, I realized, like, wow, it wasn't just like, okay, I'm the mighty God, I'm going to save you. You guys just stay in your beds and sleep and I'll take care of it. God always included their faith and obedience. Victory came when they took steps of trust and obedience required by God. Where is God calling you to step out in faith and obedience? And when you don't obey, that's sin. Step out in faith and obedience. You need to have faith to resist the devil. I wrote this down. Not physical power, but moral muscle. Not physical power because I think I can do it. It's moral muscle. Faith, trust, courage, the quality of a warrior. Trust. And it's important to note this. Christian courage is a bit different than the courage of modern warfare. Modern warfare will train the soldiers to say, you've got to do this. We've trained you. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. For the Christian, it's he can do it. He can do it. Amen? It's not me. It's he. I must decrease. He must increase. He can do it. This morning I was coming to church early and they got the footbridge going across the river. Have some of you seen that? And they're getting this footbridge 
And it wasn't a bunch of guys with a cable going, Let's, it looks like they've assembled it and they're going to drag it across the river. That's kind of when I drove by, I was going to slow down, but I thought, oh, i got other things to do today here. But they had a huge machine, huge cable, and they push a button. Dragging, I think that's what it looks like they were going to do. They were trusting in the huge machine and the mechanics of it and the engineers that designed it all. They weren't grabbing the cable and going, oh, let's pull it across. We can do it. Do not let circumstances dictate how you worship God. Instead, let the worship of God dictate how you live in your circumstances. Your focus is not, I can do it. Your focus, He can do it if it's His will. That's what faith is. Our faith, our confidence, is not in your muscle, but in the character of God. And you want to know that character? Keep your fingers in the Word. Stand firm against the enemy. And be strong in your faith in God. Don't give up. Resolve to do His will. Have firm resolve to do His work. Because without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. Stand firm by taking up faith. Trust in Christ's power that protects and courageous obedience to do His will. Be courageous. Time is ticking. You don't have much time on this earth. Do His will. So let's end by going back to Acts 19. Turn back to Acts 19. I was going to try to find a picture that I have. Maybe I'll show it next week. Acts 19. Look at where we ended off at verse 17. So here, Paul is preaching and the disciples are preaching the Gospel of peace and displaying the beauty of salvation and the power over all these magicians and sorcerers. God's power is great. That's a grape. God is the King, the Mighty One. And this little story about these sons trying to evoke the name of Jesus. When this became known, to the Jews and Greeks, verse 17 of Acts 19, living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number of them had practiced sorcery. They brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50000 their, their price, I forget, it was, it was over many years of wages. You worked many years even to get the, the worth that was there. In this way, the Word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Listen, people. This is what brought the demise of the goddess of that time. People in faith and obedience 
proclaimed his name, his goodness, and openly said, I belong to Jesus. Burn this junk. Get rid of it. When I was in high school, I remember one guy came to the Lord. I let him hit. You know, he was just all in a bunch of stuff. And he says, I've got some evil stuff at home. I said, let's burn it. So we got some of his records with pentagrams on it and just some weird stuff. And we burned it. I got a picture. I got to find it in some of my photo albums. I got my long hair. You'll think I'm the other guy or whatever. But we're burning this stuff. Not that you have to burn things today. But we're going to end as we've ended every Sunday with these things. Renounce the world and its ways. People, if you're involved in things that you shouldn't be, get rid of it. Run from it. Confess your sins. So they didn't ask here. Acts 19, they confessed their sin. We, we did this stuff. We're sorry. Now let's proclaim the goodness of God. And the gospel grew. Maybe the gospel's not growing in your realm because you haven't renounced and confessed. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your power, it's His power. And know your position and His power. Pursue active faith and courageous obedience. So worship team, come up. We're going to sing two more songs. And as we proclaim His goodness through these songs, I ask you, if you need prayer, come on up. Lee and Mary, if you're available for prayer, Eric will be over here. Bob and Judy, if you guys could come up here and be ready. If you need prayer, if you feel like I've had things in my life I need to get rid of, I need to do that. I need to